nice word. I like that word. That's a good word, Mike. What's going on, guys? Hey. Hello, everybody. Made it. Yeah, happy birthday, Mike. Uh, you skipped out last week because it was your uh, what was it, your forty? Dude, that was just coincidence, homie. Yeah, no, I was. My back was wrecked, man. After Philadelphia, that's the only reason why I missed it. So I was like laying in bed, probably. Now I'm like, since got I got back, I went to the gym. Yeah, yeah, it was just the worst, which is so brutal. Like it was literally a thirty-eight minute flight that I needed to get from Houston to San Antonio to get my car, and costing me like another sixteen hours or whatever it was. But anyway. Let me learn. And that back is still destroyed today. Getting old, yeah. man. I'm working through it, chiropractors and going to the gym, stretching and ain't gonna slow me down. But just just sometimes, man, when I'm sitting down for a little bit too long, I just mm, just feel it. But you know what though? And I, I think for a lot of people listening to guys in their twenties and thirties talk about back pain. It's like listening to, you know, billionaires talking about their stocks dipping. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, Demetrius. Fair enough. We're trying to, yeah, I don't know, man. That's why it's all about perspective, right? That's what mm. life's all about. So that's right. Um, doing my best, but complaining here and there, I guess. <laughs> Living life right, you know. Well, let's get jumped into uh, some pool then. Uh, I, I guess where do we want to start? Let's start with the... Uh, I don't know. We were, we were kind of having a discussion off air about what we think uh, makes a good stream. And uh, I, I guess let's continue that debate. So, Demetrius, you had some some fun feelings about this. Why don't you start it out? Well, and I'd love to hear from people in the chat, too. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, when uh, I've, I've always kind of so I've come around when I grew up. It was always about two things, which was like entertainment and education. And for me, it was more about the education, the instruction. That was when I watched a show. That's what I was looking for when I watched a pool match was what can I learn? What can I learn? I didn't really do it to be entertained. Entertainment, though, there's but I'm not the audience. Right. So I've, I've kind of realized that there's also entertainment where some people like to watch it to be entertained like it's a play or a, a music show. And then and but then there's a third thing with technology these days where now there's chat rooms when people can interact with each other and it can change it into a social experience where instead of people watching it on their own in their basement and feeling like they're by themselves, there could be like a social element as well. So in my mind, I think the best streams these days, they have some instructional quality. They have an entertaining format that's, you know, exciting and draws you in. And then there's also some room for social interaction. Um, which which transforms it from an isolated experience to a group experience. It doesn't mean that all three have to be present on every stream, but those seem like the big levers to pull. Um, and some people are really doing it right. Like who? Like who? Well, <laughs> you know, well, I, I, you're describing something very specific. I I want to I kind of want to hear like the the company behind what you're saying. Well, I I think that I think that Matchroom does that. You know, Matchroom has you know they have. They have all three. They have a lot of instruction. I mean, you're watching the absolute best players in the world with good commentary like Jeremy Jones or Carl Boyas or, you know, Alex Laley. And then you're watching, you know, so you're watching top players with good commentary. So from an instructional standpoint, you can't really get better than that. Then you've got the drama of it all, which is it's very entertaining watching it live versus watching it, you know, and then watching, you know, the, ten, you know, the drama. I mean, that world championship was unlike any pool experience I've had in terms of entertainment. And then finally, as far as the social part, I mean, they got the chat room going and people are offering their ideas, their opinions, and everybody's feeding off each other. So you have a social element and a lot of 
energy going on. So I think that that was a kind of a the trifecta, you know, the triath. I heard, by the way, I heard a, a one-liner. It said it was on the AZ Billiards funny picture thread. They said, uh, a shark can swim faster than me, but I can run faster than a shark. So if we had a triathlon, it would come down to the cycling. All right. Anyway, so the point is they had all three. They had all three. Uh, we miss you, Demetrius. Yeah, yeah. So what? Okay, that's that's so that's what I think. I think those are the three levers. It doesn't mean you always have to have all three, but those are three things that make it pretty good. What do you guys think? I think that joke was hilarious. Yeah, you killed oh, it. Really I think we just end the show right there. We can't we can't go and go any harder than that. I should have saved <laughs> it. I kind of jumped the shark. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mike. What do you think? I don't know. You kind of have to. I'm I'm gonna be careful with what I say, but. I um I think that if you have if if you have a good matchup, whether it's tournament or a two man tournament or whatever, by going and shorten on the commentary side, it really can go and make that a horrible watch for my money, to where I don't even want to watch it. And and on the flip side of it, something that's maybe mediocre. But with great commentary can really get me engaged and excited and keep my attention. Um, I think there's certain people that do it really, really well. I certain I, I think some streamers are just being cheap on on getting good commentary on there. I think others are maybe living in in the 80s with having some people on there. Like I don't want to hear my grandma talk about a run out. I'm sorry, I just don't, you know. I, I I don't care for that at all. And it's nothing exciting about it unless I'm watching like the senior open one pocket event in Houston. But if I'm a senior, then I appreciate it, but I'm not. And that's not, and I don't think that should be someone's audience or at least who they're trying to go and, and get to watch. Um, I think it's short-sighted. Um, and as much as I love watching pool and I love watching a lot of pool and I do, um, just certain times I'm just like, man, I can't fade this, you know, so, and I don't want to so commentary. So commentary is really important to you. So my question is, what are some things that you think are, make a great commentator? Like, is it, is it knowing kind of being more quiet? Is it pointing things out? Is it being engaged and entertaining with the chat? And then what are some things you don't like at a commentator? I want to hear your I think, opinion. I think some guys just have a good pulse of, or a good balance of things. And certain guys just fit into certain um boxes right whether it's from the color side or from the technical side some guys can go and bring in you know storytelling or personal experiences and i think there's a good feeling of it all um you know you brought a match room and i i think you nailed it i mean they they go and can showcase a lot of really fantastic guys there's a couple of like these younger european players that are harder to understand where i'm just like eh, maybe that might not be for him but there's other guys where it's like they can make them superstars like the neils of the world which i didn't hear I didn't until hear. This, this last year, you know, I thought Niels was fantastic. Allison and Kelly grew on me as each day went on whenever they were doing commentary in the booth. Um, you know, Alvin can be a little flat doing the commentary, but he's a monster on the table. So it's like, I still want to go and, and hear him. Um, I think Jason's really good. Actually, Jason, like, Chris Melling does a great job of, of, of doing commentary. Too. Yeah. Darren, of course, for sure. Um, but it's like just some of these, some of these streams, man, I'm just like, I'm out, yo. I ain't going to go and, and watch this. And even if you have two great players and you shorted on getting great commentary, I just – I don't want to watch. I just don't, man. Yeah. 
you know the what big, do you my think big, they, yeah well so i the things that i have i i tend to have like uh pet peeves so one of my biggest pet peeves is when they break the balls and they're wide open and they might have like a tricky one ball or maybe they have a tricky transition somewhere halfway through the rack where like you know to get from the four to the five is a little tough and it, it's certainly not something that is just elementary and the first thing out of their mouth is well i guess they're out this rack like that offers nothing it absolutely offers nothing to the listener to opposite the only thing you're basically trying to do is make yourself sound really smart and call something that is immediately going to happen. And then you can point to something going wrong. Well, you know, if they had just done this, you know, they'd have, well, that's, that's the trick of the playing pool. Right. I mean, you can't just look at something and being like, Oh, it, they should have been out from the beginning. So they made this mistake right here. And that's, that's why they really got wrong. So now you just look like you're this great, pro, you know, procrastinate, uh, this, this great predictor of what's going to happen. And it just, it just makes you sound like you have no idea what's really happening and you don't understand the nuances of the game. Like that's, that's like the biggest pet peeve I have. Mike, what's wrong with something? having like standards, man. That's the thing that just annoys me with this, like have some standards and, and be consistent with it. You know, if you're going to have, if you're going to bring in like one guy one day to do, uh to do some commentary, keep that same bar, if not raise it, you know, don't just go and be like, eh, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to have whoever's, you know, around go and jump in. Like, no, man, people, it, 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 it completely deflates an experience, man, like no other, you know? And well, I think that, I think that for a lot of people that, uh, you know, put on these streams, you know, the people know what they like. And so it's really easy to set up a stream the way they'd want it without thinking about who all is going to be watching and what the real priorities of their whole audience is. Uh, I think for a lot of people, they just think that having two great players and a good camera angle is going to make the show. And I think that knowing how pivotal commentary and the commentary is very controversial because a lot of people want very different things. Some people really, really like right. a lot of instructional, you know, educational stuff. Some people really want players to be more quiet or tell more stories about the players. Other people just want to, you know, other people like interacting with the chat, uh, you know, like, hey, why don't we participate and, you know, and, you know, talk with the chat. Other people like it when they focus on the match more. It's you can't please every. That's the thing, For right? Sure, you can't Jimmy please Jimmy. everybody. It's really hard. No, I agree yeah, with and you. I think, I think what we're, we're, I think really I think what we're talking about here is. Like, how do we avoid um, exactly what Jim Staff is saying? Uh, and, and, like, he will keep them from even watching the match. That certain commentator will – and that's that's really what we're starting at right here because I, I, I'm the same way. Like, the moment I hear my biggest pet peeve or if I – you know, if I just know that that's the type of commentator and they're on – to be honest with you, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll call out one person here. I – I really struggle to listen to some of uh, pool action TV stuff, especially with the one pocket things. Cause the, the, you know, I think Mike, Mike said it perfectly. I think at some point in time, I don't want to hear my grandma doing commentary and it's, you know, I don't care how great you were, you know, 20 years ago. That just does nothing for me. I'm I don't know how to old. say it where it doesn't come out disrespectfully. I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, Honestly, I, you know, I'm, I'm the one kind of throwing a name to it. So like, I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, disrespectful or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just telling you exactly how I feel as a 30 year old listening to listening to right. somebody that I know is 70, 80 years old or something like that behind the commentary. And well, you even heard like on AccuStats stuff before, who was that gentleman's name? Um, Danny DiLiberto. Yeah. Danny sometimes. I mean, especially in the last few years, like, you know, where he's like not even calling the right balls. 
Well, you he's know? you know what, and, and I then, know and, that, and, and then and then he's stubborn in his position, so like it causes conflict. But like he's obviously not even seeing the right ball. What's next in a rotation game? Well, and I know that Pat Fleming and Danny DeLiberto go way back, and that I think that. I think that that Danny was like grandfathered in on some stuff. I I agree. Like Danny's been doing commentary for over twenty years, and I've I've always had trouble. You know, like I've always enjoyed it. Like when it was Billy and Grady, or you know, things like that. I get excited with Nick Varner. But then when Danny got behind the mic, I was like, whenever they publish a video, I followed uh, AccuStats. You know, Pat Fleming's publishing videos on YouTube, and I always see them. And if it's Danny commentating, I'm like, yeah. Now I'm not I'm not trying to bust trap the guy because everybody has their own opinions on what they like and don't like. And I respect the heck out of him for what he's contributed to the game. But for me, he's not a good fit. And so that I guess that proves the point of how important it is to find a good commentator you like. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that we're just talking about our own our own personal opinions. And of, of course, everybody, you know, some people hate JJ. And I'm just like, what? Yeah, but, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Demetrius, I mean, different strokes for different folks, right? And everyone's got yeah. their own preference. And there's a lot of people who can't stand the stuff I say. I mean, you don't bother me none, you know? And um but it's i don't know man it can just be a little rough and if we're just going to go and talk about it then and i think the takeaway for people that are doing streams because there's a lot of people that are doing streams that may not be national or international level but you know they, they they've got their own channel they've got their own stuff they're putting out there on facebook and so what i would say is you know a couple things is understand number one commentary is a big deal for a lot of people to get you know to get the right commentator and make it a priority and number two don't just go with what you'd like because you know i know for example for me i've learned what i like is not going to be what most people like because i'm very different than most people and i right listen if you're there's nothing wrong with being a little crazy but if you're a little crazy you have to know that about yourself and so that you can kind of like manage in the real world and so people that like are really gung-ho about pool to where they're going to start a stream and promote like anybody that's like really really over the top with pool you have to understand you might not be your your audience and you have to kind of realize you have to it's okay to be a little bit different you just have to know if you're a little bit different and you can't yeah and i and i think what we're talking about here is more so i guess uh what is it the joe buck and troy man like everybody hate well i shouldn't say this Everybody from Wisconsin hates him because they always end up getting the Packer game somehow miraculously. And basically everybody just sits there and complains on him and digs on him because they hate them commentating. But at the end of the day, like we're talking about Redskins like, fan are... too. Can't stand, can't stand that, that combination. Yeah, I well, got buddies of mine. Exactly. But what, but what we're talking about really is we're talking about like people who are perfect, perfectly qualified and perfectly competent and perfectly blah, blah, blah. Everything about them and their resume screams that they are perfectly qualified to be there. You are picking on like different aspects of who they are as people and how they talk and how they interact with each other. Nobody's going to question whether or not they're qualified to be there. What we're kind of talking about here is we're, there are people in pool that are just blatantly unqualified to commentate or to partake in you know, proper analysis of racks and they're thrown behind a microphone and told to go to, go to town on it. And like, that's, that's my biggest problem with it is like at the end of the day, like when we're talking about like the, the older people that are doing it, like that's, that's like a, the Joe Buck, uh, Troy Aikman debate, like, sure, whatever they're qualified. You might not like them, but blah, blah, blah. Man, the Joe Buck is I great. Y'all people get that the hell out of here with that. Joe Buck is fantastic. I, I don't have a problem with him yeah. either. Honestly, I don't have a problem with him either. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's almost like trendy to hate them, but like, it, 
I don't, Not I don't, I, I honestly money. don't think, yeah, <clears throat> I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that's, um, I think honestly, like there's, there's nobody really that I hate professional commentary. Well, uh, you know, I mean, other sports, but like the, like really what I want to get at here is like, how can we professionalize the industry to where we're actually like talking about these little nuances that we just don't like aspects about their character or, you know, saying the way that they say words or what, whatever it is like, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about people that are just not. I think you got to have awareness it. and you got to have, you got to surround yourself with people that want to go and push you to do better, you know, and um, not go and, and settle. Maybe you're just complacent in your, in whatever successes that you've had. Right. So um, because I don't see a lot of evolution lately when it comes to um, d different streamers, you know, it seems to be a lot of the same things over and over again. And, you know, no one's kind of, no one's pushing the envelope or, or progressing, at least, at least in my opinion. Well, not, so. yeah, not only that, they're settling. They're almost doubling down on the same style. Well, people are stubborn, man. People, people are really stubborn. And not, not a lot of people are open to feedback either. You know, they take it personally. Well, maybe it's not so personal. You know, I don't know. Yeah, just I mean, at the end of the day, it's just an opinion, and of and of course, you know, a lot of people don't handle constructive criticism all that well. In fact, I don't know too many people that actually do handle it well. I but... get on tilt, you know, too. So <laughs> it's sure. just part of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's I guess that's why we're not trying to throw too many names out there and throw anybody under the bus. But as a generality, we thought it was valuable to have a discussion about. I well, because we were uh, having that conversation off air as we're coming on there. But well, and we know. were talking about what it takes to make a successful stream, and it all hinged. What's funny is we were talking about what does it take to make a successful pool stream, and then the whole twenty minutes we talked about commentary. So I guess if there's one takeaway, it's how important that really is. You Man, know. But you know what? I've said this for years. The the game by itself cannot go and sustain. You cannot just go and have two great players and throw. Uh, you know, camera up on top of the table and that's, and you're going to get people outside of pool or even that love pool to go and watch it. It's got to be delivered the, in, in a really great way. And I think that's why I love what Matchroom's doing um, because from start to finish, they just deliver a great product, you know? Well, let, well, let me let, ask let you me this, because I, I think that this is an interesting thing too. Uh, I think there was nothing to me more, when I look back at like the last two years, there's one thing that stands out basically above all other things that I was like, I don't care what's going on in my life. I don't care if I wake up to a heart attack. I'm not going to the hospital until I watch Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods play their challenging golf. Like from start to finish, I was glued to my TV and I watched every single second of that. Now I'm a huge Tiger Woods fan. I've loved him since I was a kid. I love watching golf. So that's a thing that's different, but if you, Part of the thing that was so exciting about that was they had Charles Barkley following them around with a microphone. They had like all the, they had a professional TV crew to basically follow these two people around to market their gambling. And I couldn't keep my eyes off it. Now, I don't know if that was just me or if that was other people as well, but like, why couldn't we get more exciting with the way that we do these matchups? Is there some sort of way that we could have, uh, actually Chad shoulders could, did this for a little while with, uh, his matchups with, um, with havoc. Like he actually had, uh, Joey on site interviewing players in between sessions, in between breaks. Why can't we do more exciting things with these matchups to, you know, get their ideas along the way? Why does it just have to be point a camera at a table, get some sometimes par, sometimes subpar, uh, commentators out there and spruce it up a little. 
it becomes more about ego in a pissing contest than after a while. You know, people just don't want to go and be receptive to it. Or maybe they just think they're they're great. I don't know. Yeah. Demetrius? Well, I, I think it's funny as heck. Alex has these comments. If you pay for the if you if you don't pay for the commentary, uh, if you don't pay for the stream because it's free, if you give feedback, it's hey, it's free. Stop being so ungrateful. But then if you pay for it, people say, well, if you don't don't pay for it if you don't like it. Very well played, Alex. Um, you know, True. I think I think that <laughs> I think that as far as um, Jim likes that argument. I think that for me, you know, but again, I'm such a different animal because I've what I'm going to like is totally different than what other people are going to like, because I understand like the stuff I'm looking for during a match is just not what other people are going to be looking for. Uh, it's just, I'm not a good audience. But the only thing I'd say is I think it, for me, I've seen so many matches of pool, right? I've seen so many matches of pool that for me, what about this match is going to make it special and exciting and interesting. So like, I'll, I'll give you an example of, it doesn't have to be the two best players in the world. When Oscar Dominguez played Omar El Shaheen, a money set, that was a, like I felt like that was a ton of pulse because you got Omar who just took second in the world championship and is just you know playing a lot of elite you know playing elite pool and international events and then you got Oscar who's very 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 good who's playing on his home table on worn cloth in a gambling format which is his strength to see how that would interplay uh, and how those would you know I, I felt like there was a lot of pulse to that match uh, whereas watching two robots run out in an exhibition uh, again and again. It doesn't always doesn't always grab me. So again, it's just one of those things where everybody's. I, I'm just not a very good. I'm not. If you wanted to figure out what what to put out there for the for the mainstream pool audience or for the mainstream audience outside of pool, I'm definitely not a good person to ask because I'm just. I'm not your audience. Anyway, let's move on. Sure. Okay. Well, let's move on to uh, the first challenge match. I guess that. Uh happened in this most recent week uh shane versus uh roberto gomez and it ended up roberto gomez beat him playing bar table 10 ball which i mean i get the idea that you want to you want to create matchups and all this good stuff i i just i just don't have a lot of interest personally i'm losing my interest in watching bar tables uh especially pros playing on bar tables it i mean you would it just seems almost like a gimmick at this point. Like uh, I would never want to watch an NFL football game with a uh, middle school sized football. I think it's just kind of gimmicky. Uh, I don't want to watch the NBA players playing with one of those tiny little basketballs. That's like this big. Um, I, I just want to see the pros playing on their standard regulation equipment. You want to change the pockets? Fine. Uh, you want to play on a bigger table? I still think it's almost a little gimmicky, but um, that's it's better to make things harder than to make things easier. And uh, I I watched exactly like four racks of this entire thing. I, it just doesn't draw me, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna torture myself um, and make this not fun <laughs> by watching things that I don't want to watch. So uh, Shane ends up winning uh, the second third set or the third fourth set. Roberto won the first, second, and fifth set. Um, none of the matches or none of those individual sets were competitive. They were races of 20. And I think the closest it ever got was six games. Is that, does that sound right, Mike? I think it was mm -hmm. 20 to 14. Yeah, one was set. Other of, than that, it was bas yeah. basically yeah, it was was a lot of 21 12s. I, I saw a yeah. few 21 12s, I think. Yeah. The, basically every single set was 21 to 11 or 21 to 10 to 21 to 12. 
Um, and other than that, like it just wasn't really competitive. All any of the sets. So I mean, there's you're losing the um, you're losing the interest of none of the sets being close, as well as the sets. Or uh, you know, it's being. But it's got potential though. Got I because I like it to in the sense that oh, I like it. You're never going to be up by twenty going to whatever because when you're up by twenty, you know, I'll tune in. I'll tune in in five hours and see where we're at because there ain't no way I'm gonna go and watch when you're up by twenty. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just not. Yeah. You know, I'm with so you I there. do like I, the I start. Think a, a race, yeah, I think the race of twenty-one is a better option. It just happened to not matter here because nothing was close. Well, what about uh? You know, I I don't. First of all, I I agree with a lot of this. I, you know, I have trouble. It's sometimes when the, when they're playing on really really soft equipment, even those nine footers, like when if they're playing if they're playing nine ball with a template rack and the wing balls going in and, and another ball is going in and there's seven open balls where they're just stopping their rock at medium speed and running open seven ball runs on loose, like on softer equipment with new cloth. I can't even watch that. Like, honestly, for me, that's, I can't even watch that. So to go to a bar table, it's really hard for me, but what about bar table eight ball? Like I got a chance to watch Efren play in a bar table eight ball tournament like three years ago. And it was really like, I'd never seen Efren play bar table eight ball before. And it was like one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. Uh, it was just really, it was really, really fun to watch. And I think, you know, so many players across the country play Bar Table Eight Ball that this, if, you know, Bar Table Eight Ball is a tough game, right? There's Bar there's, Table Eight Ball, I love. I'm I mean, you can't just break, you can't just break and then everything goes everywhere and nobody, you know, there's no problems. I mean, of course, some racks are like that. But if they're playing on like a normal table where there's going to be some work to do, I think there's a lot of, I think it would be really cool to see. Uh, the pros playing more bar table eight ball so that, you know, all the tens of thousands of league players can see what that looks like. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to do any event on the bar tables, eight ball is the only one that really makes sense to me personally. Cause I think, I think actually eight ball, I don't think that it's necessarily easier on a bigger table, but um, if you play good patterns, it seems to be easier because there's, there's just less clusters. I mean, there's a lot more cue ball running into, you know, there's more cannons, there's more, um, you know, tight positionings that you play three rails, you know, between balls, bar table, eight ball. I, I agree. It, that can be pretty exciting. Do I want to see pros playing it? Less so, but I would much rather watch them play that than 10 to 10 ball or nine ball on a bar table. But if you saw Darren Appleton and Shane, template. yeah, if you yeah. saw it now, I, I will agree. Like I, on a big table, eight ball. So like right now, my table is worn cloth, gritty, you know, dirty balls, uh, you know, broke, really a worn out cloth diamond when i play eight ball on my table it is very difficult you get two three clusters it's really hard it's just hard to play because it's hard to make the balls and then send your cue ball with accuracy around the table and breaking things open but when you're playing on a new cloth with a template where it's like you know i i watched some match where i forget who even played all i remember is there's like 21 times in a row somebody they float all the balls apart there was like 21 racks in a row that were run and nobody ever had to break out a ball and it was kind of like stupid so but bar table eight ball um you know, it's it's like if you watch Shane versus Darren Appleton play like best of five sets to 21 playing bar table eight ball, that'd be a hell of a set, right? I'd watch that. There's still some like compelling rivalries in pool that I think you can go and serve your need from a business standpoint of wanting to provide a stream and then still go and satisfy a fan's perspective of I want to see two great players go and match up at a great game. I, I, I really do. I mean, you mentioned Darren and Shane. That would be great, man. They got a lot of history together. You know, Darren playing eight ball against anyone would be fantastic. Hell, even Darren and Justin Bergman would be a great 
bar table a ball matchup you know yeah i would yeah. love i would love to go and watch that you know and you can really go and and spice it up but you gotta go and promote it and i don't mean just make a flyer and say send send me some money you post know it to a post it to a facebook page and make a flyer that's not do, yeah yeah or yeah do some interviews with the players ahead of time and you know kind of have some comedy you know have some different different players giving their predictions on how the match might play out and try to create some drama around it yeah but uh but okay so with that being said they had shane and roberto played now we were kind of talking about this and um I'm trying to remember what, right before the stream i was like mike you were spitting fire i'm like what i wanted you to save it for the stream um but uh but maybe maybe you were just kind of talking about how oh i know what it was we were talking about the difference between a gambling match and an exhibition match so what was the format of the set when shane and, and uh roberto played it was like it wasn't like they were both betting you know 50 grand of their own money what was the format so i think it was you know obviously races to 21 best of five but after each set you're guaranteed four grand but it's not like traditionally because where it's not like you're putting up four grand and I'm putting up four grand. And at the end of it, Roberto was a one set winner. So you would think, okay, maybe he won four grand, but no, he won three sets. So he wins 12,000, you know, whereas Shane won two sets, he gets 8,000. 8, so it's, so it's, Shane it's, won money by losing the match. He just didn't, he I, won four I, grand. He would have. If, if it's how I understand it, then yeah, that was the case. Um, so, so, it just, so it was like an appearance type fee where they were both showing up to fight over free money was that kind of something like that maybe yeah yeah i think so and i mean there's nothing wrong with it you know but it's just players play differently under heat they just do players act differently when there's a lot of money you know on the line even from a first and second place in a tournament kind of standpoint you know they just especially do. when you're not hurting for that money yeah and i'm in I think it had a lot of potential because Shane's coming off a world championship. We saw him go and demolish whoever it was months ago playing bar table, 10 ball. Like there's a lot of different angles. You can go and promote whoever that matchup from. Yeah. But you know, it's like, it's like, uh, Hey, let's just do a flyer. And, and that's it. And uh, I just, I, I don't understand it. I don't get well, it. I, I think I've learned that lesson over the years. And so, you know, I, I, cause I like to bet on matches too. Maybe not as much as you do, Mike, but I'll tell you, I've learned that, um, you know, I used to just look at the matchup, but, you know, like who's playing, what's the set to, blah, blah, blah. But there is a big, like I've learned, there's a really big difference between Shane playing somebody a race to 100 on a big table where he's betting, you know, 40, 50 grand of his own money uh, versus somebody's having like an eight-man tournament. Like there was that one where he played JL Chang and it was like some eight-man tournament where it was like, you know, heads up races to 50 and we're going to play it right, down for right, eight right. players. And yeah. It's kind of like a semi-exhibition. never finished. Like, yeah, they're on a free roll. Oh, they're not even finished. I forgot about that. So it's like, no, that's they, the point. It's like, like three winners, I think. It's like, I just, I just, I don't know what it is, but there's something totally different when two guys, it's, it's a difference between if somebody says to you, hey, show up, play five sets, I'll pay you four grand for every set you win. It's like, you're going to try. But if it's right. like two people that are like, hey, we're going to, you know, I, I think I could beat you. And they're like, no, I think I could beat you here. Let's put up a bunch of money and play for it. There's there's a different type of like when uh, when Shaw was playing, uh, who did Shaw play where he had to forfeit out because what happened um, or not? He didn't forfeit. Dennis. Did he played Dennis Justin Bergman. No, no, no. Just a, few, just a few months ago when he, he finished, I think he lost to Dennis. Oh, you're talking about with his wife. Yeah, my, that was, uh, that point was is, it's like, like the way they were playing was like they were playing for like for blood, like not like they hate each other, but they were playing to win. Uh, whereas I didn't get that. Like, I didn't get the same 
I didn't feel like we saw the shame that's playing for blood there. I've seen a lot of great wow. players go and shake when there's money on the line. And I've seen a lot of guys go and rise to the occasion. Players just play differently whenever there's um, whenever there's a lot of money, you know, bet behind them. I mean, if you were to go and ask Shane, would he play Roberto again that same format but bet it up? What do you think Shane would say? Because I think I know the answer. Hmm. You know, it just it, well, it's different. I think you can uh, you could flip that um, you can flip that to uh, what would happen if uh, Roberto was asked the same question. Do you think he'd bet it up? And I think you'd have your uh, proper answer both ways. Because one would bet it up and one wouldn't. So, <laughs> But yeah, it doesn't surprise me that uh, Roberto wins it out of this. Because, I mean, I've said this in the past. I think the Filipinos play with a different level of urgency than American players. And that's why, you know, the, the whole never bet against a Filipino, uh, for me, that is because Filipinos play for their existence. And, you know, when, when somebody's playing to eat as opposed to playing to have a little spending money to buy a new you know, pair of Jordans or something like that. Uh, the urgency is just different. You know, when you, when you don't have an op when you don't have an option to lose, there's a lot less chance you're going to lose than if you have the option to, you know, winning it or losing is whether or not you're going to buy Roberto ain't coming off the farm, man. What are you talking about? It, 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 well, it doesn't it, matter. It, he grew up. That it, way. it ain't Roberto of 25 years ago. It doesn't uh -huh. matter. He grew up that way. You, it's easier. It's easier to forget. It's, it's already, for, it's a lot easier to forget something you already learned than it is to learn something you never learned. Right? You can take the Filipino out of the Philippines, but you can't take the Philippines out of the Filipino. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> True. All right. So, what? I yeah, I mean, I got nothing else on this match. I think we talked about the commentary. We talked about stream. We talked about, you know, exhibition versus gambling. Roberto got there. Obviously, great shooting. Um, it'll be fun to watch. Breaking the ball great. Yeah, it'll be fun to see how Roberto does in tournaments here over the next year. That's it. You guys got anything else on that or? Nope, I didn't. I like I said, I didn't really watch a whole lot of it. So uh, I guess let's move on to the uh, Treviso, uh, the Euro Tour, and I don't really have a ton that I really have to uh, that I want to say about this. Although I will say, um, you know, I, I kind of pose this as like a generic kind of question just for fun. And uh, who basically, if you could take from this day forward the careers of Joshua Filler or Victor Zelinsky. And who do you think is going to have the better career from this day forward? I thought it was actually a real question. And Joshua Filler wins. But Victor Zelensky gets to the semifinals again, in his third straight Euro Tour and wins two of the three. I mean, you want to talk about like two players that just seem to be at the top of every single Euro Tour? It's crazy. Well, I think Filler, you know, Filler wins it. I'll tell you what. He, the last couple of years, I mean, he had such a good, such a strong two years there where he was winning world championships, U.S. Opens, everything in between that, that it's easy to kind of feel that he cooled down a little, but even like a cool down a little Josh Filler, I mean, he final Derby city and, and then he won this Euro tour event and he won the main Euro tour event last fall, right? What was the one last fall where remember his opponent did the premature celebration and then missed the nine. Wasn't that like the, that was like no. the major. That was the mm. year end. That was the major uh, Euro Tour event last year, and so anyway, the point European is European Championships. When uh, Sanjin missed the the nine ball, yeah, yeah, yeah. The European Championships. The European. So he won the European Championships. He got to the finals at Derby. 
The only, in my opinion, the only reason he lost that thing is because it was 14 hours of play and he was finishing at 1 a.m., but I've already talked about that. And then he, he just won this thing. I mean, Filler, even when he's not having – like, I don't know that he's hottest, the hottest he's ever been, but he plays so well that, I mean, like – he is in the group of, you know, if you had to pick three nine ball players or three or four nine ball players, I mean, what you'd have to pick, you'd have to pick Shane Shaw, filler, Alvin, 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 and maybe Dennis, right? Like, honestly, the, like, the those are like are, I think the list, when you talk about nine ball, the list starts with Alvin. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So, but, but at the same time, Shaw, I mean, Shaw is it's unbelievable. Uh, and I think that, uh, and I think filler and Shane, I mean, honestly, I don't know that Shane's at the top in my book. I think Alvin and filler, and uh, and 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 then and then Sean Shane. I mean, but it's like those are your top four and eyeball players. Maybe I'm missing someone. My point. Well, so I guess I guess my point is is that I, I think that uh, Victor is playing really, really, really well. Obviously, but I, I think he's got to be in that category of the guys that are like you know the Clenty Kachi who got to the you know finals or right. Didn't Clenty take second in the Euro Tour? Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. I think Victor's more. I mean, Clenty. Listen, Clenty had a year back in like 2017. He got to the finals of the U.S. Open. He won. He beat Shaw in the finals of a couple events out in New York. Clenty was dominating. He was doing really, really well. I think Victor and 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 he's still a major player. You know, he's still elite. But I think Clenty's like there's like the super elite, and then there's the elite. And I think Filler's a super elite, and I think Victor's like elite. And I think that um, I think that you still have to go with Filler because. He even when he's not on top of his like even when he's not at his absolute peak, fillers top of the world. And then when when there's times you watch him play sets and it's like you watch him play tournament after tournament, it's hard to understand how he ever even loses a set. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, I, think um, uh, I don't think that you're wrong necessarily. What I do, what I would say is, all of the players that you just named are players that have massive profiles. I mean, we're talking about some of the biggest players that pool has to offer, and. I think you can I think you can often get I mean I think to be honest I think Jason Shaw made the Moscone Cup the last 2 years because of his profile right Jason Shaw hadn't won all that much in the last 2 years yet he made he was a no-brainer for the Moscone Cup and no one's going to question it because of who he is right uh you you build a reputation off of kind of what you do and I mean it's it, well there's a lot of people who questioned it there's a lot of people who questioned well, it but Jason should, yeah right, right. J J Jason delivered though he backed yeah, up that, that that criticism with going and putting on MVP performances. Yeah. So well, and, and, and Nate, you, the reason I was to build the profile, and you're right, you know. So I was comparing, I was comparing him to a, a, a lead few because that you were that was literally your question is him versus Filler. The only thing I want to say about Shaw is not every event is a matchroom event. You know, not every event goes on the matchroom rankings. I mean, I was at Turningstone this year and I saw Shaw run out three sets from down eight to four, where he ran out, ran four racks and out, five racks and out. He he was down eight, four to Strickland. He was down eight, four to the guy from Kuwait. You know, he was uh, Yusuf. I mean, he was down and he just both times he cleaned out, ran out the set. And then in the finals against Fedor, he was down nine to four going to 13 and boom, he wins like eight, nine in a row. I'm watching him break two, three balls, me. popping his cue ball in the middle of the table and clean it up five. It, it gets to the point where it seems like he catches a certain gear where when he needs it uh, and it just runs out set after set. And I, I don't know, man, I've never seen anyone play offensive nine ball. I mean, I'm talking Shane Earl. I've been watching nine ball my whole life. I've never seen anyone have a higher gear than what Jason does when he's running out these sets and he goes around 714 balls. So I, I don't think that he's just like some pastime, you know, some, uh, some uh, has been that's like riding a reputation. Um. Like he's well, I, I, I wasn't I'm quite not, to I'm my sorry, point. I, yet. Yeah, <laughs> I just wasn't quite to my I wasn't quite to my point yet. Okay, thank uh, you. My over, 
my my overall point is basically like these these players have profiles they have reputations they have they have things that they've done in the past that you know you give them the benefit of the doubt so when jason shaw makes the moscone cup it's not because of the way he was playing it's because of the reputation that he has built now jason shaw has i want to say this in the most respectful possible way he's got like a huge ego he's got a huge persona he's got a huge um aura to him that makes him very polarizing in good and bad ways. And I think uh, 2017, 2018, people hated him. And now you're kind of getting to the point where you actually realize Jason Shaw for who he is. And a lot of people who get to meet him do not have a bad word to say about the guy, me included. He is an amazing person and like a really, really selfless person. But Joshua Filler is the same exact way. Josh has this huge ego, this huge persona. And And I think when you have players that do, that have that kind of, persona and that kind of uh, marketability to them we we ignore the dips quite a bit more and we elevate the highs quite a bit more but what i'm saying and this was kind of what i was getting to with the victor uh thing is we look at him as an elite player because we can't ignore what he's doing and i think if he had the same exact personality as a josh or a jason they ha- he had that same bolsterous ego they had the same you know look at me kind of i'm the king now type of mentality to him I think we would already be putting him into the super elite category because of what he's done in the last year. So, we just can't ignore what he's doing. I, I don't quite think so. And here's why. So I think that, I think what we're talking about, I, I worked in, uh, you know, lending for a long time, right. And there's credit reports and the way credit reports work is everybody starts out as a ghost. Nobody has a credit score. You have to earn that over time. And, and so there's a difference between, you know, paying some credit card payments versus paying a car loan on time versus paying a mortgage on time. Those things have different, you know, what your limits are, how big the payments are, how, and then how long you manage that. Those things matter. Uh, The thing about Victor is like, if Victor had just come off and won a world championship, a U.S. Open and an international nine ball open, then we'd be saying, okay, yep, you Fedor filler. Great. But, but he won a Euro tour at a predator event. And those things are, again, it's like, think about it this way. If Filler, Fedor, Shane, and Shaw, and, and Elvin are like the super elite, well, when it comes to tournaments, the U.S. Open, the International Open, and the World Championship are like the super elites. And then you've got like, you know, the same thing as pool players. We have Clint Kachi or James Aranis or, you know, these guys that are elite but not super elite. That's the Predator event and the Euro Tour. I know despite what Jim would say if he was here. So it's like, I feel like Victor is elite. Not quite super elite, and the tournaments he's won are elite, but they're not super elite. And had he knocked out three international opens, U.S. opens, and world championships, then I would say welcome to the super elite club. But I think I, I don't think that if he had a bigger personality, we'd give him credit. I think that you got to win the, the the big majors. Well, the only thing I, the only thing I, I would say to that is, do you know how old Victor is? Mm-hmm. Isn't he? Uh, no, I don't. He's he's so he's twenty one. He just okay. turned twenty one this year uh january 11th so he just turned 21 and the fact that you're you're naming these titles at age 21 like joshua filler i think i think he won the u.s open before he was 21 yeah and the world championship and 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 clenty you know clenty kachi was like 19 when he won at his tear at the u.s open and then you've got uh you know lucius yeah but uh who else i mean uh fedor how old was he when he won the world championship he couldn't even play a derby so listen i'm not i'm not saying if we're going to talk about what Victor's done and is it amazing, and well, is I he think elite? Fedor's in a different category. Still, okay. I think Fedor's different. <laughs> yeah. So, but all I'm saying is, if we're going to talk about is he elite? Yes. Has is what he's done 
you know, unbelievable. Yes. And do we think that he could become super elite? Like that's a different conversation, but I think that you can't, I, we might predict that he becomes super elite. We might look for him to start doing really, really well at the, in the international events, but I'm just saying, you know, nobody, you know, nobody gave Shane credit for the world championship till he won it. I think you got to win it first. And so I, my old point is I'd still think that filler is in a, is in a different class and, and it's not just because of a repu- because of an attitude or a reputation. I think that filler has demonstrated he's one of the top nine ball players that's ever lived. Um, and I think Victor may, may be there soon, but, uh, but you can't, to answer your question, I'd still bet on filler if I had to pick today over who's going to win the most over the next two years. Yes. Sure. What do you think, Mike? Who, who's, who's, who's winning well, this argument? It depends on the bet. Cause you're going to get a lot more odds betting on Victor than you are ah, going well, bet, and betting on Josh. See, it's, but if it's an even, if it's even. No, I mean you can't argue resumes though. It's it's different, and you can't you can't argue results like you said. You know, I, I don't think it's fair to go and put that kid in that same category as you know amongst the elite Europeans. Do I think he'll get there? I I do. I think he's got that kind of ceiling, and I love his consistency over the last you know two plus years, going and and being in what would have been back to back to back Euro Tour finals. Um, is remarkable. I don't know if that's ever that, been done. That I'm that's sure an extreme. That's extremely difficult um, and, a, and a, a super tough tournament, despite the terrible payouts. Um, you know, I'd like to see him on four-inch pockets under a matchroom stage and see how he handles the bright lights and all eyes on him and see how he goes and feels then, you know. Uh, but you can't – I'm with you, Demetrius, in, in the sense that you can't go and put him in that category unless you have that kind of consistency and you back it up with majors. Like, if you're going to trend that way, well, you got to continue to trend that way. You can't trend that way and then go two and out in the world 10 ball. You can't trend that way and then be an afterthought in the world nine ball championships. So while I think he's got that kind of ceiling, you know, he's still young and he still has to go and, and get there on, on bigger stages. But I, agree. I, yeah. I, I would love to fire at him. I would. Cause he's, he's up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, that, and then up. there's, there's something I was talking about, you know, I've mentioned before is like that two year thing where when people first burst onto the scene, and they realize they can win and they can compete at the highest levels. They get it's like so exciting and so that everybody has like a two year rush. I mean, Filler had a two year rush. Federer had a two year rush. And if you go back and look, I mean, Darren Appleton had a two year rush a long time ago. Uh, Mika Eminen had a two year rush. Now there was two years. I mean, he was Player of the Decade according to Billiards Digest or whatever it was back in like 2000 to 2010. But what happened was after that two years was up, you know, Mika is like, you know, borderline elite player, but I mean, now it's like you don't even put him in the same category as as like Clint Ikachi or although, you know, to be fair, he's making a bit of a comeback. And right now he's playing exceptionally well. But I mean, Wait, who, what do you mean by that? Who? Mika? Well, yeah. What, Mika. Do you, what do you are you talking about Mika? currently or my career? I'm talking. OK, so what I'm what I'm saying. OK, let me explain. He won back to back U.S. <laughs> Opens. Well, hang on. Let me make my point. He won back to back U.S. Opens. He won a bunch of stuff in between. He was player of the year, like two years in a row, player of the decade. And then he kind of like cooled down. And so the question is, I think there's I think that there's a point at which people spike really, really high. And then they and then sometimes they cool down. Sometimes they stay there and, you know, and sometimes they stay there. And I think that with Mika, he spiked really, really high. And then he cooled down. And for the next 10, 15 years, it was kind of like not at the same level as those two years. Darren Appleton spiked really, really high, and then he cooled down for 10 years, and now he's trying to make a resurgence. And so both Darren and Mika are trying to make a resurgence. 
Now, when Shane spiked, he stayed there. When Shaw spiked, he stayed there. When Filler spiked, he stayed there. Nah, so right now, Shaw, when Shaw changed from Nietzsche to Perry, he, he, he took a dip when he I changed. That. When, okay, when well, he changed, he's uh, he's there. He hasn't cooled down for 10 years either. So the point is, is Victor is spiking right now. And my whole point is two things. One, the level at which he's spiking isn't the same level as what we saw with Filler, Federer, or whatever. But then the other question is, it'll really remain to be seen. It could go one of a couple ways, right? He could play. He could, I mean, really, he could go one of three ways. He could keep playing the same in years to come. He could get all the way and play as good as anyone in the world. Or he could cool down and, and, and lose that energy and just not quite get there anymore. And so we don't really know. It's hard to see. It's really hard to see until the cards play out. I'm rooting for him. I believe he can do it. I'm a big fan. I'm just like, that's that's where we're at, though, you know? Well, that's why I think this question is interesting. Um, but as far where, where did the Eklund come in as far as the Mika part of that? Well, I was talking about players that have had a super hot two years, and then what happened after? I don't understand. You guys are laughing. What do you do? You guys, I mean, do you guys not acknowledge that Mika's level of play dropped substantially after his two year streak? I, I agree sure. with that. I just I, yeah. I think putting I uh, Mika Emin in, in the same category as Eklund Kachi. I mean, Eklund. Eklund hasn't won anything close to what uh, Mika's won. I, I I just think that that's a. I mean, if you want to talk Josh and Mika, I think that's a. But that's I'm a talking about like right. Now, I was talking about the current level of play. I put Clenty Kachi in the level of play oh. where he's there with like James Aranis. He's there with these guys that are like you know. Well, he's 49 years old. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, Mika. Mika's actually really sneaky old. I mean, <laughs> it's not a judgment. It's an observation. I'm yeah. not here judging. I, I mean, I, just, I, get, I get it. I get it. I get it. You're right. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I agree with that. I think uh, Eklund's probably at this point a better player than Mika, but I don't know, he's 49 years old. I, 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 I think they're close. I think Mika's playing really, really well right now. And, you know, Clenty has it. I think they're what I was what I was trying to do is I was trying to find an example of like, you know, yeah. Mika was at the level where he was winning for two years. He was considered like super elite. And then he dropped down to like just just elite. And again, that's not a criticism. I, mean, I Elite's awesome. Uh, there's only room for four super elites in the world. So what are you going to do? Uh, and that's all I was saying is that a lot of players have hit that super elite level for two years and then cooled down. And uh, Mika's not alone in that, man. There's all, In fact, you know, it's a really interesting thing when you see guys like Fedor, who's had a huge two years, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, after that's all it's hard to get to the top. It's harder to stay there. You know, Mike, what you think? No, I mean, both, both are accurate statements. You know, I don't, I think it's a little bit unfair to go and and judge the kid based off of that standard because it wasn't like he opened up a box and there was Josh Filler snapping off everything. Like there was progression in, in his career too, just like anyone else's, you know, Jason took strides, Shane, you know, took strides in his career and, and everybody did, you know, I, I like the kid and the direction that he's going in, but he's, he's not there yet. And I don't think it's fair to go and compare him to those guys. Well, that's, but, a, that's a great point. You know, when, when people do this, it happens all the time, you know, like for example, if there's a young up and comer, people are like, man, he's really good for 15 and they're comparing him to other 15 year olds. And then when he's winning at the regional level, like, man, this guy's a hell of a player. He has, you know, he might be able to go play with higher level players you get to a certain level and all of a sudden people start comparing you to perfection and all they can see are like, well, he's not perfect. He's not perfect. And all of a sudden it can so sound really critical and judgmental. The only reason we're doing this is because Nate was literally like, Hey, let's compare him to Josh Filler. Who's like the <laughs> hottest nine ball player in the world. And I'm like, yeah, not there yet, but yeah. I still think know, Alvin, I still think, Alvin well, you know what I mean? Alvin. I just, yeah, <laughs> well, it's yeah. Uh, it's pretty I, tough. 
it's pretty tough. I, I think, well, I think this is exactly what I like. First off, I'll get back to the Victor thing because uh, I do want to talk about, it. but I think Albin is another perfect example of exactly what I'm talking about. I think Albin is not only the best nine ball player in the world right now, I think he's kind of in a category of his own. I mean, what hasn't he won from Matchroom in the last three years? I mean, he's winning everything. And the, and the matches that he's – in the tournaments that he's not winning, like it takes Herculean efforts to beat him. If you look at – like Shane's got him now twice, both in the World Pool Championships as well as the U.S. Open last year. People forget Shane, Shane broke and ran eight racks on him last year at the U.S. Open to knock him out of that tournament. Like, that's what it takes to beat Albin Ocean. You have to basically run out from everywhere. Shane broke and ran like seven of eight racks this year. Like the guy, and if you don't do that, like if you make it about endurance and you make it about like just just getting out of racks, like Albin's probably going to win. Like Albin is, but but he doesn't have that really loud, boisterous like personality that Josh and Jason have. And I think that just because of that, with with Albin, I think he loses some of the uh, the hype that he should rightfully get just because he's not going to do those things like uh like jason or joshua will and like things like the moscone cup yeah i mean i i agree like i felt like shane when he was playing at the finals of the world championship i said it it, it felt to me like shane was an underdog uh alvin never missed a ball in that set unless you want to count the back-to-back jump shots after a push out uh but i mean really I watched Alvin play sets where he wouldn't miss a ball, where he gets out every time, where he extracts the maximum out of every situation. I, I felt that when he played Shane, Shane ran you know from six to five down. Shane kind of controlled the set all the way to the finish line. And I felt like that's exactly what Shane had to do because – and I honestly, I feel like Alvin was, a, was like kind of just breaking a little bit off that set and had he generated – like it was – I was surprised that Alvin didn't – hit Shane, like Shane ended up hitting him first with the big package, but Alvin had a couple of breaks and I just felt like Shane was lucky that Alvin didn't come with like three, four five racks a couple times in that set. Like, you know, they, it, it, Shane just happened to get there first, but I know I felt like Shane was an underdog. And how often do you feel that Shane is an underdog playing a set of nine ball? I mean, like, not just like he doesn't have to win, but like, really, I don't know if Shane can win. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how Alvin makes you feel sometimes. Well, that, I mean, that's why that's why I think that uh, the quieter players who just kind of put their head down and play, and Albin is that. I mean, he has a massive profile because you can't ignore him because he's won almost every single nine ball event that there is to win uh, besides the U.S. Open, right? He won the International Open. He's won the World Pool Championships twice. Uh, he's won the Premier League. Uh, has he? No, he hasn't won the, the Masters, so I guess the Masters he could end up winning. But the, the, my point is, is he's won already a huge chunk of everything that you can win in in nine ball pool. And we still look at Joshua filler and, you know, Jason Shaw as, and even Shane to a lesser degree before we look at Alvin, I think he's an afterthought in a lot of discussions. And I don't think I, well, I, 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 I think that he, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, I think look back at like when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties, it was Earl Afrin, Nick Varner, Mike Siegel, buddy hall, you know, I mean, Earl was obviously over the top and Mike Siegel was very, very loud and, 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 you know, um, whatever, but Nick Varner was just this mild mannered, real soft spoken guy. Uh, and same with, I mean, Efren, Efren was just, you know, but, but yet they played good enough and they played, you know, so well that, I mean, they let their stick do the talking. I think pool's a game where you can let your stick do the talking and just because Elvin doesn't have the same branding or PR that, you know, that a Shaw does. 
I mean, you you know him. I know him. Mike knows him. So, like, who are the people that we think don't understand how amazing Elvin's been doing the last two years and how dominant of a tournament player he is? I don't know, man. I I, I guess there might be people. It, it might be right. You know, maybe maybe Matchroom features more interviews with Shaw, or maybe they do more of the Moscone Cup stuff where they're featuring, you know, the outspoken filler or something like that. But I, I just think that for the people that really follow the game, I mean, you're right. I mean, Elvin's been the most dominant tournament player uh, in the world right now. And yeah. Well, I think, I think, uh, I mean, going back to where this started from, um, I, I think that, I think that actually hurts Victor. I mean, you're, you're correct. You're correct in saying that he obviously does not have the resume that Josh Filler has, and maybe he doesn't even have the same resume that Josh Filler had by the time he was 21. I think I would agree with that too. But, uh, the premise of the premise of the, my discussion is ignore everything that's ever happened from today forward. Who's going to have the better career. And I don't know that it's Josh filler. I mean, from the, the, the person that I see in Victor Zelensky, even if he, you know, I know that Victor Zelensky's still improving. Uh, do we know that Josh is still improving now? Josh is maintaining at a level that's basically almost unreached of anybody in the history of pool. When you look at all games, but do we know for a fact that Josh is going to have a better career going forward? And I, I think the fact for me, at least, I don't, I don't know that it's true. And I, well, that's we, a testament it, to Victor, not to, not to John. Well, that's because it's the future. We can't see in the future. I mean, Victor might outplay him from here and filler might dip. So we were just talking about it. We gave our opinions, but the, the one thing about, as far as attitude goes, uh, I, I just wanted to give an example of a player who's not a Jason Shaw or Josh filler type personality. Look at Fedor. I mean, he's mild mannered, real quiet, soft spoken. But what did he do? He won a world championship. The guy, you know, wins two derby events. I mean, the guy is like the guy does everything so well, and he and he he achieved at a level to where everybody noticed him, whether or not he called it. He didn't have to call attention to himself. His results. He barks. Attention. He just barks respectfully. That's the difference. He does, actually, yeah, he's actually yeah. super goofy too. Yeah, yeah but you know what? I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known who Fedor was had he not had the results he had. Uh, and once he had the results he had, I wouldn't have even heard his barking had he not done what he did. That's all I'm saying. I think that well, I don't know that I don't know that you need to have a big. Uh, I, I think that pool's a performance game, and if you perform well enough, you get you get attention. Well, doesn't that kind of go to my 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 overall point as far as like the bolsterousness and the the ego of Josh and Jason that they get. On you know a little extra attention than they than maybe they deserve over their peers just because uh, they are in the limelight all the time with the Moscone Cup and stuff like that. I mean, doesn't if, that kind of I'll, my point? I'll tell you what I it? think. I, I think that if anything, I know it's we're, that's that's fair. You know, maybe maybe. And again, it's hard because I'm not the target audience, right? Because I pay attention to different things than maybe some mainstream people might. I don't know, but I would think that you could say is it their personalities or is it their style of play? And I would actually think, Nate, that that people I like and admire and the people that play ex with extreme confidence and extreme aggression. And when you look at if you had to pick who are the most aggressive and confident shot makers, I mean, Filler and Shaw are, are very, very aggressive and confident and exceptional pocketing. And I think people like that. And so they like these guys that are like super bad that are just like, look at them, just run over the table. And so I think that if, and when you look at guys like JL Chang, there's another guy that, you know, or Elvin, they play more of a game management. Of course, Elvin didn't miss a ball. So obviously he pockets well, but, but when you look at guys like Ralph Suke, I would think that I've always felt that guys like Ralph Suke, JL Chang, they don't get the respect and credit that they deserve. Or, or even David Alcady falls into that. Like, because 
it's they're so easily overshadowed by look at that shot look at that shot look at how good he shoots look at how amazing he just look at how fast he shoots i think fast aggressive players attract more attention and i don't but know if, if you're it's, gonna it's if you're gonna play reserve then you gotta have results and that's what albin has albin has results because you don't see albin go and take the flyers like a josh or a jason you don't see him go and make very many mistakes as far as decision making either you know i think that like in tennis for example the the field matters right you have nadal on clay and you have Federer on grass, you know, Albin's Albin is great playing world championships. Shane is great playing U S opens. Victor yeah, may Novak. be great. Huh? Novak Djokovic in hotel rooms. Yeah, uh, nobody care about Novak. Anyway. Um, that was, that was, that was a good Australian open joke at least. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like the, 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 the games matter. The conditions matter. You know, Euro tours are really generous pockets and kind of a goofy format in a sense with, with three point rule and you're uh, racking for your, I know they used to rack for their opponent. I don't, I don't know if they still do, but my point is that he, Victor, Victor does well on those conditions. You know, sure. does he do well on a matchroom stage? It remains to be seen. And unfortunately that's the highest standard in the industry right now. You got to perform when the bright lights are on you. So some of those guys like Jason and filler and, um, Shane and those guys can go and perform and they can adapt. They can play well and they can be favorites under any conditions. Would you put Victor on as a betting favorite coming up to the UK open? I wouldn't, but I would love to go and fire at it. Cause he's got that kind of upside, you know? Yeah. It would be fun to see. I look forward to it. Nate. We're all in agreement. We're all big fans of Victor. We're all rooting him on. And uh, I expect him to do, I mean, listen, I expect him to do really, really well. I, if I, if you would ask me this, if you'd ask me this question, do I think that this is the highlight of Victor's career, or do I think that I he's going to go on and take a take his place on the international stage when it comes to the highest you know uh, events with Matchroom? I would bet that he does. Like I would, if you had to, if I had to pick whether or not he makes it to the next level uh, or to the highest level, I would I would bet that he does. I just I which do. is by the way, that's a bet that I would usually bet against. You not because I root against anybody. But just statistically, just only odds, a yeah. couple guys can get there. So yeah. it's like I hate to be cynical, but if you're going to ask me, like, suppose, like, for example, you told me that there's some 16-year-old in such and such country that's playing really, really good and making deep runs in the in the Euro Tour and he's going to be the next greatest thing, without even knowing anything about him, I'd be like, well, he's not going to be a filler or a fedor. Not because I know anything about him, just because if I have to bet, probably unlikely, just because of how hard it is and how few spots there are. But when it comes to Victor, he's one of the few guys I'd say, yeah, I think he's going to go all the way with this game. But um, so, yeah, I, I think he will. But the question was compares. It was a comparison to filler. And I, maybe it would be better to say, do we think he's going to break through to the highest levels? And I think so. Yeah. Yep. We needed Jim for this discussion. So he could have like uh, just talked about his four, uh, his locks for everything. And, you know, I like to pick, I like to pick, uh, you know, dark horses when I pick my favorite players and, you know, Oliver Solnaki, Aloysius Yep, and uh, Victor Zelinsky and Wojtek Shevchek. Those are my uh, those are my dark horses that are going to be great. You have players. like eighteen players in your stable, homie. I mean, not just those four. <laughs> Stop it! It's just those four, and it's always been just those four. As much as much crap as you, Jim is the one that has like everybody who wins a tournament is. Oh, I guess he's in my stable now. Sweet. Yeah. No, How can no I be wrong? Shadam if everyone... No, Shadamus over there. He just goes right off the top ten Fargo list. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Yeah, and he's, no, and he he's gambling. Top, he says. No, he, he doesn't go off the top ten Fargo list. He goes off the top ten of or the top four of uh, every single tournament. That's just who he goes off of. 
whoever takes top four, he just says, all right, those are my players now. <laughs> you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Jim started calling who's going to win the last three tournaments. Instead of trying to predict, he'll just be like, I bet you I can tell you who won. <laughs> anyway, he's we love you, Jim. Yeah, we do. We we also like to bust you up, so that's always good. All right, let's uh, – I, I don't know. I guess um, – is there anything we want to talk about for the uh, the Euro Tour? I guess I don't really have all that much that I'm. Who's FSR? Eric Croft said, "How about FSR?" Francisco Sanchez Ruiz. Oh, is my guess. That's usually yeah. uh, Francisco Sanchez Ruiz. So I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I, I I see him and Victor in kind of like the same category as like uh, just players that get overlooked that are really really awesome players and. But uh, I'll also give a, a you know a huge shout out to uh, Anna. Gradisnik, uh, who wins the female side of it, because I think we should, uh, you know, promote the women's pool as well. Sarah Roch, uh, Roca gets second. Um, Christina Zlateva gets third. She's she's a, a loyal, I don't know, I guess she's been on the podcast a couple times and did a lot of the events, so I have a, an affinity for her. Uh, I guess other than that, let's move on to the Masters. That could be fun. What do we think of the Masters? The draw is out. Any thoughts, Demetrius? Or have you seen them? I have not seen the. I, I think I looked at it, but I don't remember. Where is it? Is it on Matchroom? I could pull it up right now. Yeah, yeah, it should be out there. Uh, so we have uh, Eklund Kachi versus Dennis Arcoyo. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad to see Dennis is back in there. I, I think it's it's almost criminal not to have them at least invited to this event every single year. Uh, the winner of that will play Alexander Kazakis. Actually, I'm just going to do this and pull it up because this is a lot easier. So here we go. We will pull it up and put it on stream. Actually, first off, before we even get to that, how great does this look? I think this mm. is oh, how tough does that look? That just looks brutal. All right, here's the draw. We have uh, Eklund Kachi and Orkoyo playing to get to Alexander Kazakis, Oliver Solnaki versus Sky Woodward to get to Joshua Filler, uh, Omar Al Shaheen, uh, and Jungo playing to get to Max Leshner. The Co brothers get to draw each other. How much fun is that? It's a, that's mm -hmm. a, that reminds me of like Sky Woodward and Billy Thorpe drawing each other a couple of years ago. Uh, playing to get to, to Al Qaeda, Francisco Sanchez Ruiz, Chang Jung or Chang Yulong to get to uh, Albin, Mieszko Portunski versus Jason Shaw to get to Aloysius Yap, um, Abdullah Al, Al oh, I really need to get better at saying this guy's name, Al Yosef. Uh, and Niels Fine to get to uh, Nayuki Oi, Loho Sum, and Dennis Graba to get to Shane. What do we think of the intro matches, Mike? I think it's gambling race to seven with a lot of these guys. I think um, even if you have some names on paper that may be favorites, um, like, for example, like Shaw and Fortunsky, I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he got there um, in Mitsuko, despite the fact that Jason is playing out of his head right now um it's just it's it's nine ball and it's winter break i think the addition of of mika and uh mario he is huge and i think both of them can go and cost some waves uh with the guys that they're replacing oh um, yeah duh i forgot the this is um yeah where's uh mario he is replacing who um uh, Mario is replacing uh Al Shaheen, I believe. Could Omar be Al Shaheen. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, and then I'm pretty sure that uh Mika is replacing uh Loho Sum, right? No, Yulong Chang. Oh, Yulong Chang, okay. 
So uh, I forgot about those. That the do you think they'd update these? But well, I mean, Ru- Ruiz this, oh, is coming this is off a previous article too. This is a previous article too. So Ruiz, you know, winning Derby and Mika, you know, dominating Shane the way that he did for the for the first, you know three quarters of their match you know i wouldn't be surprised if he gave albin hell if either i wouldn't be surprised if either one of them give albin hell just given the format and having that one match under their belt you know to go and and get a little bit of of momentum but i can say that with a lot of guys i don't think it's necessarily um uh soft on either side um because grave you know you, you can look at shane but um dennis grave can play great nine ball so um sure. yeah i mean i just yeah, 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 exactly. So I don't know, man. It's it's gonna be a great uh a great event. Yeah, I think that um this one's super. I mean, yes, yeah, raised to seven with with elite players, um, winter break. Almost. Really I um, silly, isn't it? it's I yeah it 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 kind of it kind the of pockets help. Yeah, that does help. That does help. But you know, so that that's a big, big, big deal. Um, I think that it the one thing it has going for it to make it so it's not totally coin flips is the pressure is so intense that the people that handle pressure really well, like uh, Albin, you know, things like that. It's, it, it makes it so it's not like a, a normal race to seven. Like if they played some race to seven in the early rounds of Derby, uh, it might be different than a race to seven under the bathroom lights. Uh, the set's going to play a little bit longer. <laughs> and so I think that Albin, you know, will do well. I think that filler, for the same reason, if you look at his top half of the bracket, like if you had to just go clinically and say which, like of the players that are probably the favorites, right? Filler, Albin, maybe Shaw or Shane. Like if you had to pick four names, but then, but then you look at like who else is in their group of 16, like filler might have technically a slighter, slighter pull in his group of, you know, his group than, uh, than Shane and, and Ocean and, uh, you know, Shaw on the lower half. But I, you know, it's like, it's like, I've heard that if you flip a coin tails, like a penny, like tails is supposed to come up like a little bit, like 50 and a half percent. But it's like, that's the kind of pull that we're talking about because it's so tough right here. But if I had to pick a name, like I would think that filler coming off a Euro tour win being in that top half of the bracket, I think filler making the finals. What do you think the chances are that filler makes the finals? Uh, it's, it's not one and eight, which is what it would be if it was straight 50, 50. I think he's like, what, I think I'll he's 35% to make the finals. I don't think he likes his draw. I mean, I, this is coming out of nowhere, but I, I don't think he wants to see Sky Woodward in that in that first match. Oh, is that who he's I mean, playing? I'm so confused. Can you? Well, if Oliver Solnaki beats uh, Sky Woodward, he Sky Woodward. Uh, sorry, if, if Sky Woodward beats Oliver Solnaki, he'll be playing Joshua Filler in the second round. I, I mean, I'm I know Josh isn't afraid of anybody, but I'm sure he doesn't want to be seeing Josh Filler with all the Moscone Cup stuff that happens. I mean, Sky's had his number. Sky's had his number. He has. And then Sky, again, maybe I'm that sure. maybe that makes him motivated. <laughs> maybe that makes Filler motivated. Maybe. But I, I don't know. It's possible he. It's possible he doesn't really care, and he'll play anybody. You know, that's kind of his mentality. But if there's one person that I would say might be able to beat him in a first round upset of this entire field, it's Sky Woodward, and he's right there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Or I, I should see the, the most likely person. I should say. I mean, well, I, I think I, fillers. I, guess... I think fillers the most. If I had to pick a name who I thought was like the most likely to reach the finals, I would pick filler, and then uh, you know probably Alvin next. Yeah. Mike, what do you think? I mean, 
I can make arguments for 90% of this list on, on <laughs> yeah, why yeah. on why they're going to go and beat you know this person or that person. I want to know who um, that 10% is. <laughs> <laughs> um, come on, uh, come on, put uh, some names behind him, Mike. <laughs> oh, I mean, I would I would have liked to see Victor get in myself Me too, um, in, into this event, but I'm not I'm not upset at seeing Mika or Mario get in. I'll I'll say like that. There's just other names on there that I would have thought maybe he can go and replace. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I mean, just looking at it, everyone's tough. I guess you gotta like, if I gotta like somebody, I guess Albin, I like Albin's chances better over Mika or Ruiz compared to like Yap over a Shaw or Oi over Niels or Shane over, well, I guess Shane over, over Dennis Grave. Um, but I agree with you hundred percent when it comes to that, that sky assessment. I said that the other day. Um, I don't think he's he wants no part of seeing Sky in that second round just because of uh, a numbers game and having it for the last few years in the Moscone Cup. Sky does not get rattled by a name or by a persona or by you know being over the top. He just goes and plays and plays elite. Um, you could argue maybe coming off a Euro Tour win and playing on those buckets compared to jumping over to four inch pockets could be uh, a tougher transition for some of these guys. You know, so a three and seven eighth, right? Yeah, wait. If, if it's not four, then it's right there. Yeah, I think it's three yeah. and seven eight. That's so, what it was last year, and they said um, that that was going to be. I mean, this was a long. Time I love that. I want to see guys go and show. It wasn't until the end of the event where I really saw guys go and get comfortable because even outs that were elementary were not automatic, and that's what I really loved about um, tightening them up like this. Um, I know one guy who can play on any kind of conditions anywhere in the world, and that's Dennis. But we ain't seen Dennis go and play on a diamond table or a Rasson table in over six months. But if Dennis was in full USA gear on playing on tight equipment, the way that he pockets balls, there's not very few guys. There's not very many guys that I would go and put above him. Um, but well, that's that, yeah, that's I actually agree with that because like you want to talk about like the the Sky Woodward part of this. You know who else would filler want to? face less than Dennis Arcoyo in the quarterfinals too. You know what? This I um I got a I got a question. So this was actually uh Mike Page just made a video maybe a week or two ago. So it's Fargo Billiards uh sorry Fargo Raid. If you look up Fargo Raid on YouTube and this is the most recent video they've made. And the question was do tighter pockets favor the better shot maker? Now hang on this sounds obvious well, hang on. What what we're not talking about is we're not talking about one guy who's a 800 Fargo rate who shoots better than a guy who's a 700 Fargo rate. Obviously, tighter pockets are going to favor the better shot maker. What we're talking about is if you have two 800s and one 800 is a really, really sharp shooter, and that's one of his strengths, but maybe his safety game or his break isn't quite as strong. And then you've got another 800 who doesn't necessarily shoot as well as the other guy but moves good, plays good saves, plays great patterns, plays good cue ball, uh, has a good mental game. Does tightening up the – like if they're both 800s, does tightening up the pockets shift it to where the 800 that relies on shot making has an advantage? Or is it going to balance because then the guy who plays good cue ball and game management is going to benefit from having less difficult shots? Like there was an interesting video on this. I mean, I'll spare you. There was a thread on AZ Billiards, a lot of discussion. But in the end of the day, what it came out to was two 800s are going to perform equally well regardless of the difficulty of the pockets because the the they both have strengths. And as long as they're similar level, 
those strengths will be offset by the time they get to. Now, the break is different. If one guy has a really, really big break, tightening up the pockets tips it so that the guy with the big break isn't as competitive because the break means less and less as the pockets get tight. But all those other skills still matter. So the point is, is that tightening up the pockets, my first instinct would be, you know, hey, that's going to help Sean and and and, uh, and and Josh Filler and maybe Dennis. But after watching that video and thinking about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, but some of these other guys do a lot of things that are going to, you know, if a guy like Max Lecter comes around and breaks really well and has less difficult layouts and less short side shape and less demands on what he has to do to run the balls out, that's going to take pressure off his shot making too. So it should be a pretty close match, man. I think about like the style of hitting the ball in the hole. And when I think about a, a tight table, would you rather go for like a Ralph style or a Mika style? Because for my money, I would rather go with the Ralph style of making sure that ball gets in the hole <laughs> versus versus Amika. Are you saying that because Ralph has won eight, you know, Whirlpool Masters? Is are you trying to say that there's I didn't know that's that hell no. That's way to, not why way to go, it. Jim. Way to go, Jim. Yeah, yeah no. I'm just like you know, won, I think he's won even, seven or eight of them. Even like an Omar. Omar's got this, you know, uh I'm gonna go and 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 shotgun the ball in the hole kind of way of of hitting it and I think on four inch pockets, it can really go and expose you very easily. And especially if you can get in your own head even easier, I think it'll go and rattle you that that much quicker. So um, for me, that makes a huge difference. And the tighter table will definitely go and change um, your decision making, you know, where you may go for a shot, let's say, in a U.S. Open um, on four and a half versus a, a Masters. I think you'll think twice. Ralph so then maybe that favors he's been in the finals of eight. Yeah. Now we're just off of here, but I, I don't even know that's that. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I can't wait, man. This is going to be a fun one. And I look forward. I'm going to, this is one I'm definitely going to tune into. I, I look forward to this one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. So uh, I guess let's, let's, let's do some predictions. Cause those are fun. Uh, pick your obvious player and your dark horse winner. Go ahead, Mike. My obvious player will be can you, Shane. Can you, can you throw it back on the – can we see the whole list again? I know sure. that a couple of them are outdated, but throw it up there again. Okay, your obvious player is Shane, Mike. Who else? Yeah, my obvious player is Shane because I think if he can get past, get past that first matchup, I really like him in the next one, unless it's Niels because Niels is a huge wild card in this event because of his experience. Um, if I'm going complete dark horse – Yeah, if I'm, if I'm going – if I'm going complete dark horse here, I, I'm going to go and double down, and I'm going to say Sky Woodward's going to be a whirlpool master because uh, if he can get if he can go and fade those first couple of matchups, which I know is far from a gimme, gimme because Oliver is a monster in the making, similar to uh, Wichter. We obviously know who Josh is, and then if you end up facing, pick your poison there with those guys up top, Kachi or Kolo or Kazakis. Um, I think he'll be battle tested and I would like him from there, especially on the round underneath. So that would be who I'd go with two Americans. Well, I, I just think that calling any of these players, dark horses is kind of silly. Uh, but, um, I mean, I think that for my, for my obvious pick, um, I'll just go filler. I, I you know, man, maybe, you know, maybe ocean I'm torn. I'm really, hang on. Let me start with my dark horse. I, if you want to call Oi a dark horse, I'll take Oi. Uh, here's what I like about him is he's starting, uh, you know, one round in, which helps. 
Uh, he's been really, really, really doing well. He hasn't quite popped off anything major, but he's been really showing up deep, deep, deep in a lot of these events. Didn't he make a good run of the world championship as well? Um, I thought he did. And so, so I feel like Oi would be my dark horse pick. And then, and then, um, gosh, man, I just, it's so hard not to say Alvin. I'm torn between Alvin and filler. Um, I'll go filler. I'll just go filler. I think, you know what? He stakes second at Derby. He just won this Euro tour. I think he's hungry. You know, this is an elite competition. I think he's a competitor. I'll, I'll just go ahead and pick filler. I mean, okay. If there's two players that I would honestly feel like, uh, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that they have, I, you know, this is going to sound maybe disrespectful, but almost zero chance of winning. I would say Nayuki Oi and I would say Dennis Grabo. And it's and it has nothing to do necessarily with their ability to win. It's just their mechanics. Uh they're they're not the tightest to, you know, they're not the tightest with their uh, their mechanics. And when you're throwing somebody on and I guess that's predicated off whether these are three and seven eighths or whether they're four inch pockets. Um I was under the impression they're gonna be three and seven eighths because I thought uh, Emily decided that last year that's just what this tournament's going to be. Uh, I'm seeing a couple of the other things around here that's saying it is four inch. So if that's the case and it's four inches, then, you know, maybe I don't, well, I certainly do not feel quite as uh, confident by saying this, but if you're, if you're talking about just uh straight mechanics and always getting that ball into a tiny hole, uh, Nayuki Oi and Dennis Krava, I just feel like that could easily break down a lot easier. Uh, I guess going back to my dark horse, does Dennis Arcoyo sound does that count as a dark horse? Since I don't think Dennis? so, man. I don't think I don't think so. We, I, I mean, think... we've we've been we've been like away from Dennis for long enough now since he's been kicked out of the U.S. That the uh, guys, just if seems... you're to pick five nine ball players in the world, he's one of the top. You know, he's he's been a, one of the top five. I don't think I don't think that's a dark horse. I mean, none of these guys are dark horses, but at least if the you last time like... we seen him in a major, he was in a final against Albin Ocean at the international. Yeah, at least if you pick like Lechner or something, we could, I guess you can call Lechner a dark horse or Sky a dark horse or, you know, I mean, it's even hard to call Niels a dark horse, but I guess you could say Niels would be a dark horse only because you've got other players to choose from. But I mean, all these guys, I mean, I mean, coping. Well, then I'll do this. I, I'm going to, I'm going to actually take Arcoyo as my lock then or my obvious. Ooh, that's like, you're like the guy that asked for the wild seven ball. And then when I said no, then you're like, okay, well, I'll just play it even. You were ready to, you wanted to see if you could sneak a man yeah. and steal money as well, a dark I, horse. I, I do because I, I honestly think that like, I, I feel like he's going to be prepared. I have to assume he's going to be prepared coming into this, and I don't hate his draw. Um, I mean, of course, he's got to play against Kachi, who just Kachi lost was just Euro in a Tour final, final. Of a Euro Tour. How I know, can you not I hate know, his draw. Then he's got Kazak, well, who just won the damn event. We don't right don't after that, we don't even know if Kachi's going to show up for his match or if he's going to sleep in. So I like. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I, I think I think Kachi's a good matchup for Okoyo or uh, Okoyo's. Yeah. So I, I like Okoyo on that. And, you know, of the top eight players, of course, Alex Kazakis won this last year. But uh, are you going to take Kazakis over? How many of those other seven players are you taking Kazakis over? Uh, hmm. uh, maybe one or two of them. I, I mean, I get the idea of that. I don't know that Filler's going to make it out there if he has to play against Woodward. So I could see. Dennis playing, let's say Sky Woodward in the in the quarterfinals, and then 
I don't, I don't know. I, is, is Dennis, is any of those players, Mario, he Jungo, coping, he coping, Chung, Al-Qaeda, Lechner, are, are you going to take any of those players theoretically over Dennis in a race? You know, of course it's a race of seven, whatever, but I could see Dennis getting to the, I, I could would. see a very real pass. Pat, can to, message me. Yeah. I would. <laughs> maybe if we get to that point, you know, maybe I'll have to message you, but like I could see Dennis getting to the finals of this and then he's just got to win one match against whoever comes out of the bottom side. Uh, you know, I'm creating a narrative, but whatever, I'm going to go with it. I think Dennis is my lock and my dark horse. Uh, well, I'll just blow it all up and say that, uh, no, you know what? I'm going to say my dark horse is Mika because Mika, I think is playing good. And I don't know. I think it'd be great to see Mika Eminen make it out to the finals and potentially win his second. I think that'd be fun at age 49. I think that'd be a lot of fun. So there you go. What do we think, guys? Yeah, I should have been more strategic. I picked a guy from both sides of the bracket. I would have been better off picking two guys in the same bracket because then, if anyway, if they end up playing each other, okay, I, I push somebody. And anyway, I, I have more uh, more board coverage, as they say in poker. You got to get in there with the suited, low suited connectors to have board coverage. Otherwise, you pick up. Never mind. Okay, I give up. I dogged it, but that's fine. I'll go down with do the ship. Talk, do you want to talk about your feelings? Uh, it's too late. I'm dead inside, Nate. Good for you. I'll I'll, I'll be there and just give me a little time. Pool's yeah. dragging it out of me. <laughs> Mike, what you think? Anything else? No, I think it's time. I think it's time, boys. I'm good, man. I agree. All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in. And uh, I don't know. One more prediction. One one word question. Big Co, Little Co. Who's winning the battle of the Co brothers? Demetrius. Little Cole. Big Cole. I said Big Cole, too. All right. There you go. We ended on that. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Till next time. Later.